Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next at Microsoft podcast, a series of conversations about technology, innovation, and the future of Microsoft. My name is David Chen, and joining us today are two guests, Bill Buxton and Kat Holmes. Bill Buxton has been a principal researcher at Microsoft Research since 2005. He's been awarded four honorary doctorates, is co-recipient of an Academy Award for Scientific and Technical Achievement, and is an adjunct professor at the University of Toronto. Bill has created or contributed to a number of products, including the Structured Sound Synthesizer and Electronic Drum of the 70s and 80s. Bill has also made a strong contribution towards the use of touch, stylus, and gesture input, as well as to Microsoft's increasing focus on design and user experience. Bill Buxton, welcome to the Next at Microsoft podcast. Pleasure. Kat Holmes joined Microsoft in 2007 and is currently a principal designer at Microsoft. She leads next-generation design work on Windows and Xbox, most recently focused on Cortana. She recently collaborated with Vice Motherboard and Warner Brothers to create a two-part documentary captivated by her, inspired by the Spike Jones film Her. Kat, welcome to the Next at Microsoft podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we like to start with breaking in stories. Uh, so Kat, why don't we start with you? How did you end up at Microsoft? What were you doing before you came here? And uh, why did you come here? Before I came to Microsoft, I was working actually at a company called Tektronix. And it's completely the opposite in many ways of what I do today. It was incredibly technical. I worked as a mechanical engineer. But I'd also made the transition into industrial design and really thinking about the role of design in a large company and the effect it can have on technology. But I, I definitely was a bit of a misfit in that environment, and I had quit my job. I was going to stay at home full-time with my then three-month-old daughter. And uh, about two days after I quit, I met Albert Shum, who leads the design group that I'm currently in. And it was a matter of six weeks later, my husband had quit his job, and he decided to stay home. And then I started at Microsoft. What was it that Albert said to you that prompted you to stay? Well, his first comment was, uh, hey, nice watch. He had worked in the Nike timing division before that, and, you know, it kind of caught me off guard. But what really we started to talk about is the role of design, not just for the way that things look and the way that they are aesthetically uh, designed, but really how you can change organizations, how you can evolve companies by both the things that we make, but also the thinking that's behind design. Bill, uh, how about you? How did you end up at Microsoft, and what was your journey here? I think my journey began at the first time I got a Christmas or birthday present that I'd always wanted. And the first thing I did to it was take it apart and see if I could put it back together. But I wanted to see what was inside and how it worked. What was that present? It was a cap gun. I wanted to be a cowboy. I was going to be the <laughs> rootin' tootin' the shootin'est cowboy in the world. And I was almost in tears because I couldn't get it back together. It took hours. My first experience with a computer was in 1971 to do a soundtrack, and that computer had a color graphics display, chord, keyboard, mouse. You could play the keyboard in real time, and it had graphical music notation on it, and it could synthesize sound in real time with a computer-controlled deck, and I could use it. After the first day, they would leave me alone because I worked from 6 at night till 6 in the morning, and I could run that thing by myself, and I'd never seen a computer before. And I thought computers were really easy, and they're really easy to use, and they're really useful, and they're really cool. And then I finished the soundtrack, and I went back to music school, where I was still an undergraduate. And I said, oh, I'm going to take a computer course as an elective. And I took a course in Burroughs Extended Algol. And I was introduced to card readers, and I realized what the rest of the world was doing. And I had somehow fluked into the best place in the world. And so the rest of my career was basically recreating my very first experience and just bringing it up to date. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys are working on right now? Bill, let's start with you. 
what I work on specifically and have for years is basically I work a lot on pen and touch input. I was working on multi-touch in 1984. I published my first paper on pen input with gestures in 1978. I was still a musician then. I didn't know I was doing research. And I still work on that. We still haven't nailed that. We still haven't nailed how we use gestures and how we use coordinator hands, and especially with other people and perhaps even with your voice. We're making progress, and I think that the reason I still work now and why it's the most exciting period of my career, to be quite honest, is because we're finally, after 40 years of being at this game, at a point where I think we're ready to go hit prime time. And I think I'm at the right place to do it. In fact, I think I'm at the only place to do it. Kat, how about you? What are you working on these days? I would say that my role kind of has two facets. One is, you know, as we bring teams together, specifically to the group I work with, Windows and Xbox, the Windows Embedded group, the new stuff that we've introduced recently, like Surface Hub, taking a look at all those products and bringing a kind of unified design platform that connects those experiences. That's one big portion of the work that I do. The other part is really about, funnily enough, really taxonomy and culture and the way that we talk about why we design at Microsoft. Why do we make the products that we make? The thing that we both work on the most isn't a thing. It's actually the design of the culture. I think you you design your values, then you design your culture around your values, and then you construct what are the skills we need. You can design your teams to execute, and then the products are easy. And in a very kind of practical piece of that has been getting out of Redmond and getting out of Seattle and getting out of, you know, the West Coast and helping our teams to, you know, get out and talk to people, get different perspectives, understand what's happening in culture. So a lot of the work that we do is partnerships with schools, other design firms, but also bringing that work back into the broader team here to help make it a source of inspiration and insight for the way we design products. You do a lot of work with outside organizations and groups. What is one way in which you've learned something revelatory that you might not have otherwise considered if you didn't and that you've incorporated into your your work stream? Yeah, actually, it's been an incredible year for that kind of influence into our work. So you'd mentioned the project that we did with Her, the film by Spike Jones, using the you know inspiration from the film and this other view of what technology could look like that actually could have a warm, optimistic, human perspective of technology. And also got a chance to sit down with K.K. Barrett last month, who's the production designer from her. And the thing that sticks with me the most from that conversation is he said that they never set out to imagine the future when they created that film. What they had really done was take a look at everything that exists in our environment and then remove the things that seemed unnecessary. And it's that approach to simplification. It's easy to think that when we're creating such large products that they have to amass more and more things as they grow. But that has stuck with me as an approach as we think about operating systems, that sometimes it's about taking away and simplifying for the human being. So Kat, you've spoken about design as a city experience or a society of technologies versus designing for individual gadgets and features and so on. Can you talk about what you mean by this? What does this mean, this city experience? The metaphor that best describes the shift that we see is moving from 
transportation signage and, you know, subway signs and things that help people wayfind and navigate a city, to actually thinking about the design of the city itself. And in that city, certainly signs and marks are important, but there's so much more going on. You would have to think about the design of the subsystems. How are you getting sewage out and fresh water in? How are you making sure that power is reaching all the places it needs to go? And then, you know, it is about having a good grid, but it is also about breaking that grid sometimes to create a place of energy and excitement or, you know, the Boston Commons or Central Park. And then, you know, the metaphor we like to think about also is, especially from a Microsoft perspective, is you could have different neighborhoods. It's like the five boroughs of New York, that they all come together to make something cohesive, but they all have their heritage. They all have things that they're happening inside of a culture. And from a design perspective, being able to bring that cohesion, but still let each experience be what it needs to be for that neighborhood, that's been a really strong metaphor for how we think about design. So what's an example of how that's informed uh, a design decision you've made? Windows plays an entirely different role in your life than an Xbox does. And so how you design that experience, the things that are important that get surfaced at the front are very different than the things that you present in an Xbox. Right. Like your desktop is going to look a lot different than the Xbox uh, home screen, for instance. I think of, of Windows maybe being more like a highway or an intersection, you know, a place where you are making choices and you want to uh, get from one place to another. Whereas an Xbox is maybe more of an environment where you are choosing one thing you're going to spend a lot of time doing, uh, really immersing yourself, even the call with a friend or playing a game. There's a couple ways you can even just go to traditional technologies and think about that. A violin and a radio are both musical instruments, but you design them very differently. And so one's really, really hard. Think about this. If you think about a violin, right? It takes 13 years to get to the point where you're not putting your entire family through agony. And it costs more than horseback riding lessons to learn. It's a very, very different standard of design. It's designed for an expert. The critical thing is, if it's well-designed, it's worth learning. We have lived in a world where applications lived on islands that had no bridges to other things, and you associated an app ran on one device. The big challenge now is, it's not what's the next big thing. What's the next big relationship amongst the things so that they work together and as I bring more of the right technologies, rather than have more complexity, I actually reduce complexity because they're all specialized. You have a bunch of experts working in concert like a great band. Yeah, and the way we've been thinking about this helps me to like really dumb it down for myself is if you're sitting in a car and you have some kind of computing technology in your car, you have maybe your phone as well, you maybe have a watch, if all of those were actually human beings, right, and had the behavior of a human being, a notification comes in, which is the right place for that notification to come from? Who's the right person, quote unquote, to say, hey, Bill, or hey, David, this is a call from your mom. Does it go to the person does it go to the car? Does it go to the watch? Does it? So, what we or, have to, or all of them? That's, a, that's right. what we have today, right? We have all three people going, "Hey, yeah. I got a message," and that's totally broken because it's not about the phone, it's not about the car, and it's not about the watch. It's about the conversation. What gets you excited about the future? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to having the same type of seamless interaction with all of the technologies that I work with as I have between my phone and my car today. The fundamental thing when we say mobile first is that when you say mobile, we don't mean the phone. We don't mean the headset. 
we mean the mobility of the activity of the human being. And that the stuff that's embedded in the environment and the things that are with me, my intimate devices, and the things that are not mine but are surrounding, that they are there and cooperate in a lightweight, seamless way. So I have that type of seamless interaction and mobility of activity in the most appropriate way at the time. Beyond things being connected, though, is there any specific use case scenario that you feel like that's going to enable, right? Is it just... I can talk on. I can talk to someone in my car, and then I get out, and I'm talking to them on my phone. Is that what you see as most exciting? Like, what beyond that do you think will be transformative? Right now, we have some great technology. You can have GPS in your phone, couple it with Bing Maps, and you can get turn-by-turn instructions for you walking around London or wherever you want to go. And that is, I have to admit, that just blows me away that we can do that. But my job is to be frustrated. I'm never happy, <laughs> right? And so. I look at that people are walking around, the nose buried in their phones, walking through a strange city, right? You're just a total mark. You look like a jerk. If I have these bone conduction headphones that we developed for the guide dog project, I can give the same types of directions to you. So you can just walk and a sound, it's a little ping, and you just follow the bouncing ball and, and it'll take you there. Now I can look at you, I can talk to you, I can talk to Kat, I can have a conversation. I can do these things and nobody knows that I'm not local, and I just blend in. The technology disappears. Right. It's when the technology just vanishes completely that it, you feel like it has achieved an ideal. It's like plumbing. You shouldn't be aware of it unless it's broken. Right. right. <laughs> Kat, how about you? What gets you excited about the future? What technologies do you think are going to change the world? The thing that comes to mind, just even listening to you guys here, so my daughter is seven years old. She uh, has been in a reading program to help her get up to speed kind of with the reading level for a second grader. And one of the things that they use um, is the Audible Experience Immersion Reader. And it's a app that highlights the text while the book is also being read. And not only has it had like a really positive effect on her reading ability, but I started using it myself because... Moving through an audiobook for me is easier than moving through a, a page turner, but being able to see and hear helps me move through a book more quickly, helps me retain more of what I've read. And we have designed a lot of these features as settings to date, and very much in the products that we make as well, that you have to dig down into the basement in order to be able to find them, to be able to turn them on. But all these capabilities exist, and we categorize them typically as accessibility. And something that I'm incredibly excited about is what happens when we flip that upside down? What happens when we start with what is it that makes you unique as an individual? How do you learn? How do you see? What are the limitations to your hearing? And if we start from that point, how does the experience then adapt to fit to you? It's almost like what you're saying is that there's a whole set of human experiences that technology just doesn't account for right now. Like things that we don't think, technology is very functional. It does it very well. It gets you from point A to point B. But there's all these intangibles that it doesn't account for. And that once technology allows you to have this full human experience, that we'll all be, we'll all feel more human Interestingly enough. If I, if I could, yeah. I, I would say that just a slight reframe on that is the technology is currently getting in the way. The way that we have designed the experience is we require you to get to 10 steps to make something your own. Um, if that was one step and then the technology is fitted to you, um, then you can be yourself. 
It's kind of the way I think about it. You can be how you would be, and the technology is there as a tool to support the things that you're trying to do. We like to end each episode with guest recommendations. Like, Is there a book, movie, TV show, website, blog that you've been consuming lately you'd like to recommend for our listeners? Bill, why don't we start with you? Okay, I'll give you two books that um, are two of my favorite books around design and innovation, and neither of them are design or innovation books, and that wasn't their intent. And one is a book by a mountaineer named Yvonne Schwinard, who, among other things, founded Black Diamond in Patagonia, but also revolutionized pitons and the modern ice axe. And he wrote a book called Let My People Go Surfing. And it's really, really interesting because it ties in this whole thing about the social responsibility, the technological design and innovation, but also the business. And the second book is by a woman who teaches at Ryerson University in Toronto in the film department. Her name is Marta, M-A-R-T-A, Braun, B-R-A-U-N. And it's called Picturing Time. And it's a book she wrote about Etienne Jules Marais. And it's one of the best books I've read in the last 20 or 30 years. Picturing Time and Let My People Go Surfing. Yep. Very cool. Kat Holmes, how about you? I'm reading two books right now. The first is Design Meets Disability by Graham Pullen. And it does a fantastic job of exploring the tension between designing something that's universal, but also something that's very personal or individual. And then the second book I'm reading is The Martian. And Andy Weirs, I think, is the author of that one. And that appeals to my, you know, former college life as a engineering student, because it's all about being stranded on Mars and basically Robinson Crusoe on another planet. And for me, there's all these dimensions of design, thinking about sustainability, the preciousness of our resources, and then also being able to craft something out of anything. Cool. Um, so that's the Martian. I'm looking forward to the film based yeah. on that book. And the, uh, uh, the yeah. first book was uh, Design Meets Disability. Yep. Bill Buxton is a principal researcher at Microsoft Research, and Kat Holmes is currently a principal designer at Microsoft. Bill and Kat, thanks so much for joining us today on the Next at Microsoft podcast. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having us. You can find all the episodes of this podcast at microsoft.com slash next. And to keep up with all the innovation at Microsoft, go to blogs.microsoft.com slash next. You can also email us with feedback for the podcast at next at microsoft.com. That's the word next, the at symbol, and then microsoft.com. This podcast was hosted and produced by me, David Chen, executive produced by Steve Clayton, Richard Eckel, and Jennifer Henshaw. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you guys later. Thank you.